All right, it's good to see both men and women here. Uh, it's, you know, it's been only just men and only women, so yeah, glad we get to all be together this time. Uh, well, you know, we have a Q&A session for this time since we concluded our study of Titus last uh, meeting, and this is our last Logos meeting for the semester before we, you know, go into summer. And um, yeah, so just, you know, really hoping that you're all encouraged by the time tonight. Uh, so we'll, we'll have our Q&A session, and then um, after, it's a pretty simple night, we'll just do Q&A, and then we're going to go into uh, just a time of refreshments after, so um, around 9 o'clock, or whenever we end up finishing our Q&A. Um, yeah, so maybe Ted, you can just open us up in a quick word of prayer, and then we can go straight into it. Christ, Lord, and uh, that is something uh, we would never have imagined or uh, were looking for in the first place, Lord, uh, but it is your magnificent uh, plan of salvation for sinners, and for that we're indebted to you. We thank you that tonight we get to, um, Lord, just gather once again and, and just be encouraged and exhorted uh, through your word, uh, even through a different format uh, than uh, previously. Oh, Lord, through the Q&A, Lord, uh, just would you grow our affections for Christ? Uh, would our worship of him uh, really conform to uh, what you have revealed uh, in your word? And so, yeah, just thank for, for this time and just thankful for everyone here, as well as those who are joining via live stream. Uh, may we uh, leave uh, with hearts that are devoted to you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, well, as Logos is, you know, ministry of the word and prayer, um, it's often lived out through discipling relationships, right? Logos is a uh, ministry of discipleship. And so I thought it would be a good way to start um, by asking this question. And, you know, this is a question maybe all three of you guys can answer. Um, it's, can you share the difference between seeking counsel and seeking approval? So maybe we'll start with Kevin on this one and then we'll just um, go down. Yeah, I, I think there can sometimes be a little bit of both um, going on in there, but I do think that the best litmus test of whether or not we're truly seeking counsel is pretty straightforward is when we receive the counsel, are we, are we submitting ourselves to it, right? And I think a lot of times people 
may go about seeking counsel, but if they don't really like what they hear, then, well, I'm just going to go seek counsel from someone else. Like, oh, I don't really like what they said either, but so I'll seek counsel from another person. Okay, I'm, I'm on board with that, so therefore I'm going to, I'll go with this, right? So I think if, if that's our perspective, then I don't think we're really seeking counsel. We're seeking affirmation. We're seeking approval. We're seeking something that agrees with us rather than seeking to be guided and pointed into the direction that the Lord takes. And not to say that all counsel is perfect. I'm not saying that. Um, but the, the measure of how we look at that counsel is really about, you know, its consistency with the Word of God rather than its consistency with what I want to hear and what I want to do. And oftentimes, I think, sometimes the counsel that's received is just like, okay, well, I don't agree with that, so I'm not going to do it. Um, I think the other thing, too, is, you know, when we seek counsel, um, yeah, is this just something could, just going to be one out of multiple pieces of counsel that we get, and we just kind of pick and choose uh, what we want? Or are we really looking forward towards, okay, what's going to get us into alignment with God's will? Um, so those are just some initial thoughts uh, on that one. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, Ted or Pastor Mark, anything you guys want to add? Um, sure. Um, I guess, you know, I agree with everything Kevin shared. Maybe an illustration helps. I'm thinking first from in our own family, right? So um, if Isaiah were to come to me and say, hey, can I have candy before I go to bed? And I would say no. Um, submitting to counsel would be, um, yes, Papa, thank you. And submitting to that or, you know, seeking approval. If he came seeking my approval for it, he'd be complaining and saying, why? You know, why can't I eat this piece of candy? You know, I saved it from yesterday and, you know, I was hoping to eat it and um, not submitting to my counsel, right? And um, that's a pretty clear example. Um, and sadly, it happens quite a bit in our home. But, you know, if we go to the scriptures, I think um, one that I thought of was in Mark chapter 10. Um, and it's the story of the rich young ruler. And... Um, you know, oftentimes people come, um, whether it's in a discipleship setting or whether it's to the elders, and, um, you know, they come um, asking a question, right? You know, similar to the one that the rich young ruler asked. And, you know, from the sounds of it, it sounds very innocent and, you know, humble. And say, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, really good question. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then he says, you know the commandments, list them all. Um, and uh, obviously, it's a very self-righteous response. Um, but when, you know, he says, teacher, I've kept all these things. Jesus, it says, looked at him, loved him, said, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have, give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, come follow me. Right? That's the counsel that he gives, basically saying you need to deny yourself, give up everything, follow Christ, uh, which is what is required of all who would come and follow him. And you see the guy's response. He's disheartened, and he gawks away. And so at, at first, it seems like he's coming for counsel from, from Jesus, but instead, what's revealed through his response is that he's not willing to submit. And so he actually came seeking approval from Christ and saying, look at all these things I've done, you know, can't you affirm, you know, my worthiness uh, to enter into the kingdom? 
And uh, clearly, um, what's revealed is he was seeking approval from Jesus and not counsel. And so, you know, just to illustrate what Kevin was saying is, you know, do we really come with a heart that submits ultimately to, to Christ and his lordship, right? Um, hopefully, when you go to your discipleship leaders, they're pointing you to the word of God. So it's not that they're saying, follow me. It's follow the word of God, follow Christ, or follow me as I follow Christ. And so if you come with a heart that wants to be shepherded in that way and seeing, you know, your need to grow, your need to be corrected at times. And sometimes you hear things that you don't necessarily want to hear, um, but you need to hear. And, and yet, what do you do in that moment? Do you brush it aside? Do you sweep it under the rug? Do you push back? Do you withdraw and say, I'm going to go somewhere else because I'm not hearing what I want? Are you saying, you know, thus says the Lord, uh, Lord, help me to change. Um, show me how I can repent from these areas that's been exposed. So just a couple of illustrations. Yeah, you know, both Kevin and, and Ted have made great points. I think the heart of it is our relationship with Christ, right? And I think that's what both these men are pointing to. And when we talk about Christ, he's the king. And this idea that we're going through in Matthew, the king has a kingdom. And the kingdom refers to not a geographical location, but his rule. And the idea where Paul, you know, and we're learning this in Titus, where, and First Timothy, where he refers to himself as a prisoner of the Lord or a slave. It's the idea that his greatest joy is he has given up every choice, every decision, every aspect. Now, he will make choices and he will make decisions, but at the end of the day, they're all for Christ with this understanding that God is sovereign. He loves Paul perfectly. He already has planned out Paul's every step. And so Paul, as a human, is really walking in the footsteps of the Lord. That's his heart and desire, realizing we're sinful, we're frail, we don't see clearly, and many times we need help and we need the spirit, we need the local church, we need all that God has given us to really see as we walk through. And that's a very different heart than, okay, I just want to fix my problem and I want to figure out what's going to work best for me. It's totally diametrically opposed. So that one where we're looking for validation, we're looking for what's good for me. You know, but the one which comes to see what's the Lord's will is what's pleasing for Christ. Those are very different. And I think it's worth saying, look, for all of us, the propensity of our flesh, when you go to James 4 and Galatians chapter 5, and Paul says there's no testing or temptation, but such as is common to man. You know, when we're pressed, when life is hard, when things aren't working out for us, and our flesh is strong and we haven't been with Christ, our propensity, and when you all get married and you all have kids, you're going to see this. It's two o'clock in the morning, someone's sick, someone's got to make a decision about who's going to go and clean up the vomit in the floor or the pee wherever it is or all of those different things. And those moments you really see, wow, my flesh is really, really strong. And the flesh wants what it wants. You know, and we have to be mindful that though sin doesn't reign over us as believers, it is still present. And when it is still present, if we give it room, and this happens for extended periods of time when we're not in the Word, we're not praying, we're not walking in the Spirit, the consequence of that is we want our own way. And part of wanting our own way is our pride. We want to be validated that we're right, we're not wrong. Okay, that we're justified in doing what we are doing and that we get what we want. 
So we have to say we're all guilty of it. We all have the potential for that. You who are newlyweds, you're going to see when you go through this relationship, there are things that you're going to want to do that you have to ask your spouse for, and you want your spouse's approval because you don't want to feel guilty about what you're going to do. So you'll ask one time, two time, and there will be lengthy discussions that go through. And the remedy in each of these situations, really, and that's what the local church is for in many ways, is, is to say, okay, well, where's my relationship with Christ? And if you think of everything that we've been learning in Titus, you know, Titus repeatedly, he says, rebuke them. You know, affirm what's good, rebuke, you know, what, is, what deviates from the gospel. And I think the real test, you know, with whether someone is coming for validation as opposed to whether they're really seeking to know the heart and will of Christ is how do they receive reproof? You know, because when you, when you go to Proverbs, Proverbs you go through over and over again as far as wisdom. You know, the wisdom of the Lord, Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline or instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil devices he condemns. You know, he talks about faithful are the wounds of a friend, you know, and we just have to stop and say as an overarching pattern, how do we receive correction that comes from the word of the Lord? It will always hurt our pride. Let's be honest about it. We all, which one of you guys doesn't have pride? We all got it to varying degrees. And so it's always going to hurt. It's always going to make you feel uncomfortable. It's never going to give you a warm fuzzy and give you the Disney experience where you're Cinderella or you're Prince Charming or you're the best person in the world. That's the opposite of where God is going. God's like, I love you. You're my child. I see your past, present, and future. I have good things in store for you. And there are things that I want to get under your skin over and make you feel a little uncomfortable and bring you out of your comfort zone so that I can remove these things so that you can enjoy my fellowship to the fullest. So I, I think one of the measures too is our discomfort um, and whether we're willing to put up with that. And I think that's always going to be a temptation. I think as elders, many times folks are coming to us because they want a rubber stamp for their plans because it's like a Catholic priest phenomena. You know, if pa Pastor Mark said so, it must be good to go, right? But... Um, God always gets after you and he chases you. And even if we don't see it or catch it, basically, he exposes those things because you can't run too far if he loves you. Thank you, guys. Yeah, that's just a great exhortation, not only for the one that is seeking counsel or approval to, you know, look into their own hearts and see, are they, are you, am I really looking to do the Lord's will or seeking his will or am I just trying to validate my own will? And then also even for the discipler too, as they're the ones that are being approached to, to keep that in mind as well. Thank you. Um, switching gears a little bit, we're going to go um, with um, a family question. And so maybe um, I'll just ask the question, and then I think, Ted, this is one that you'll take on. Uh, for many families with young children, illness is more often than not a part of life. For the parents, especially the moms, it can be difficult to make it to church or Lagos in person. Any encouragement or exhortations for them? As a church, how can we come alongside these parents who are weary and have been apart from the body? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's close to home, you know, with young kids and there's seasons where, yeah, we're either, you know, usually Becky is at home if one of our kids are sick or, um, and I know we have many families represented at our church and, and that's something we're thankful for, but at the same time is, is a challenge. And, um, you know, first thing, I appreciate the question because um, it's easy to say, well, that's not my problem. You know, that's their problem, you know, or I'll get there one day, but that's not what I need to struggle with right now. But, you know, as we've been learning, First, first Timothy, Titus, we're the household of God. And so this is, this is our family. And so whether you know them well or not, you know, this is an opportunity um, to love on them and, and to um, serve them, you know, in any way you can. Um, I guess, you know, first uh, for for those moms, I guess, and others who, you know, have to deal with prolonged periods of isolation. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I was just talking to Becky earlier today and she's like, it's, it's just, it, it's just a blur, you know, um, especially in those early days and early months. And, you know, you really have to draw from Christ, you know, um, and we all know this, um, but our f flesh fights against it. And I, I think where we can hopefully find encouragement is in how Christ handled um, when he was busy or when he was tired. Um, yeah, he's human, so he would go to sleep and he would try to rest. Um, but you see throughout the narrative, if you go through the Gospels, how he just withdrew and just spent time with the Father and just to pray, you know, and I know Becky has told me, you know, in the middle of the night, you know, she would have to get up and feed and she, she's exhausted, but she'd just be praying what she could, you know, with whatever brain cells were awake in those moments and, and just spending, you know, time with the Lord. And it's about faithfulness. It's not about perfection, um, but really believing by faith that that's the means that God has given for his children uh, to grow in their relationship with him, you know, um, and so, yeah, I, I think the means of grace that God has always given to his people is his word and prayer. And so, yeah, finding time to read too, you know, in those, those busy seasons or hard seasons of life, uh, understanding that, you know, God sovereignly appointed these things for us to, to, to walk by faith and grow in him. You know, the flip side for us as a church, um, I, I don't think it's any different. You know, we need to pray for these folks, you know, whether it's sickness and they're out of church for a while, uh, whether, you know, uh, in the past we've had people been deployed for a season, you know, um, and just to believe in the power of prayer, you know, I, I do appreciate that we have meal ministry and we, we do what we can practically to help, but I hope that those of us who do sign up for meal ministry, we're also praying. This is an opportunity to pray, and so I do appreciate it when, when, when those who are heading up these meal ministries will include prayer requests and asking moms or families, you know, how can we be praying? And I hope you guys who are signing up aren't just signing up to just bring food, but really are committing to praying for them because uh, at the end of the day, that's our greatest need is, is for others to be praying for us uh, in these tough situations and, and trusting that the Lord can and really encourage and um, uplift us. Thanks, Ted. Anything you guys want to add, Kevin or Pastor Mark? 
You know, uh, I remember when Julie and I were at Grace Community Church and the commute to get there was was huge. And for Julie to go to Semwives on a Wednesday evening to drive the 14 miles from our home to to the seminary was a two-hour drive. And uh, sometimes two, two and a half hour drive. And so where I want to go with this is, look, we can be really legalistic about this. And at the end of the day, God is sweet and he's good and he desires what's best for you. And we have to understand that it's a battle. It, it is always a battle. Even if you don't have kids, it's a battle to come to church and be with the people of God, you know? And so we need the Lord's help and the Lord gives it generously and liberally. So Julie and I frequently would just pray and say, okay, if we're going to make it, we're going to make it. If we don't, we won't. Um, Lord, would you provide a way for us to get there? You know, to really go to the Lord and see that God wants the best for you. Sometimes he's testing you. There are going to be seasons where getting together to hear the word of God and to fellowship are going to be easy. And then there's going to be other seasons where intentionally the Lord's going to make it hard. And it's not that he's unkind, but he's testing your heart and he is growing and he's maturing your faith. And so when Ethan came, uh, when we would go to church on Sunday, it was, it was brutal getting there. Um, and then we would be there and Julie would have to step out and nurse and then come back. And then, you know, some of you have heard me say this, you know, she would get like 15 or 20 minutes of the sermon where we're sitting on a, a wooden bench outside of Grace. And I remember Julie saying, you know, what, what was really the point of that? You know, we drove all this way and, and went through probably when you're a new parent with your first kid, you don't, we, I didn't know what I was doing. I'll speak for myself, right? You know, so, so it's an hour to get everything ready to get into the car, drive, get there. Grace has this huge parking lot that you've got to walk all the way. You know, it, it, it wasn't easy. And, uh, you know, for, for all of these things. But, you know, it grew our marriage and it grew our shepherding. And it grew me as a leader of the home, not that I had answers. What I could do is I could pray. And, you know, we look at that as a last resort. But how often do we really pray about our time before we gather together? And I was also able to say to Julie, look, honey, I know from the world's perspective, it seems like we're losers. And you're here and you do all of this effort and you get 10 or 15 minutes. But God understands and appreciates weakness and frailty and a heart's desire just to be with him. And he's going to honor that. And if only we're here for 20 minutes, but that's 20 minutes of fellowship that we have, and we have an opportunity to be with God's people. And it's an understanding of the church too. We think we're coming to an event, but really we're coming where there are other believers into the presence of Christ. He's alive and he's risen from the grave and he's present in you all. And so even if it's for one person who Julie could interact with, where she was an encouragement to them, in the same way, we grew in an appreciation of what it was like for people who weren't able to come. And there were times where the pastor who served us at Grace Church said, hey, why don't you guys come up and visit us? And they lived 30 or 40 miles away. And I was like, brother, we're just not in a position to do that right now. And then he said, well, wait a second. Then he went and spoke to his wife and he says, okay, we'll come to visit you and we'll make a day of it. And so they drove down and visited us and spent time with us because they could understand and hear on the phone that I wasn't doing terribly well. And so I think on the other hand, we need to be mindful and be in prayer when we haven't seen people in our discipleship groups or we haven't seen them at church. We should never assume that people are doing well 
when we think of Jesus pursuing in love, it's shooting an email, uh, texting, phoning someone. Uh, when the Lord brings them onto your mind, and that's what helps with praying for them, we have an opportunity to bring Christ to them and that's absolutely essential. It's pleasing to the Lord, and it's a grace in the local church. And as we deal with Titus, which says, devote yourselves or learn how to do good works, that's the good work of the gospel of, of bringing Christ to those who are unable to come or unable to make it. Thanks, Kevin. Anything you wanted to add? Or? Not too much. Uh, just to reiterate some of the points there, yeah. Um, there will be seasons that come up that are just more difficult than other seasons. And those are times of kindness that the Lord brings upon our lives because they allow us to address things that we may not have, you know, known were there in our hearts. You know, for, for many moms who um, go from a season of where they're just heavily involved in ministry, doing all these things for the church, always going to these, you know, whatever events that there might be, having to take a step back from that, it might be really difficult. It might be really hard. And we can think like, well, but it's good to do all these things with church. It's good to be with the people of Christ and all those things. And, and it is. But, you know, in subtle ways, we can start to, you know, really put our hope and our comfort in those things. And then when the Lord puts us through a season where that's kind of taken away for a little bit, then it can really expose, okay, you know, what's going on in my heart? And it gives us a good opportunity to wrestle with those things. Um, so on, on the other side of things, for the church family, um, how can we minister to those moms and those people? I, I think I want to speak a little bit more to, you know, you know singles and collegians, um, where I think many times, um, being a little bit younger, we may always be used to a paradigm where the older people initiate with us, the older people initiate with us. It doesn't need to be like that where there is plenty of opportunity for the younger folks in the church to take the step to initiate with some of the older folks, even those who are married and going through those things. Because, you know, I can say that even though it may be our best and full intention to, you know, to spend the time with folks in the church and to reach out and be there and all those things, um, the different things come up at home and starts to get pushed down the priority list a little bit lower and lower and lower. And it's really helpful when someone just reaches out and say, like, hey, you know, can we even chat on the phone um, briefly about this. And more often than not, I'd be like, yes, absolutely. I, I need to be doing that. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for initiating. Thanks. Yeah, that's helpful. Hopefully, you know, for the, the moms with young kids, you know, that was helpful for you guys and even for, you know, the rest of us as a church, how to come alongside uh, the moms and uh, uh, just the, the parents with young kids. Um, you know, it's not out of sight, out of mind in God's church, right? We're too where to care for them. Um, okay, well, I guess going into, speaking of, you know, uh, young singles, collegians, uh, here's a question about dating. So um, there are some new couples and more young singles who seem to be showing interest in each other. How do you know if you're ready to enter into a dating relationship? So Kevin, I'll turn this one over to you. Yeah, how do you know when you're ready? How do I objectively answer that question? How do you know if you're ready? You know, um, the, the scripture that always comes to mind, Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom, seek first his righteousness, right? 
the end goal of life isn't necessarily to just get into a relationship and get married and reach you know, the point where you feel like, oh, my life is heading towards that direction. Like, what's the next thing for me? Like, you know, if we're in college, it's to get to graduation. If it's after college, it's to find someone, start dating. After that, it's to, you know, get married. After that, it's to have a kid. After that, it's to have another kid. After that, you know, it kind of keeps on going, right? But to take a step back, okay, what are the things that we're seeking and what are the things that we're pursuing? I think it really comes, seek first Christ's kingdom, seek first his righteousness. And as we're doing those things, then I would say, if we're doing those things with all our heart, at least from a spiritual standpoint, that's what makes us ready to do dating in a God-honoring way, to do marriage in a God-honoring way, to do parenting in a God-honoring way. It's by seeking the kingdom of Christ and his righteousness, right? So I would say that's the main thing. Um, as much as I would want to give you step one, two, three of you know, the dating plan, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily that rigid. Um, I do think that, yeah, we need to pursue Christ and love him with all our heart, and it has to come first. And that's what prepares us um, to do things in a Christ-honoring way. Um, I will say this. There are some considerations if we think about you know, dating and what the purpose of that is. Um, and if we really consider that, yeah, we want to get to know someone, for the purpose of pursuing marriage with that person. And usually there's a degree of physical attraction that comes along with that, right? And if that's the case, we really have to think about what's honoring to the Lord in terms of physical intimacy and purity, because that is a part of that. And if we're you know, pursuing a dating relationship and there's really no intention of moving towards marriage in that, or you know, we're pursuing a dating relationship and you know we're not ready for marriage we need to really take a step back and and understand like okay well if christ says that physical intimacy needs to be restricted to the marriage bed and the marriage relationship and yet we're pursuing this relationship when we're not prepared for that for that commitment of marriage then i think we need to take a step back and slow down a little bit um, because then, yeah, if, if you're not ready for marriage, and why are you looking to get into a dating relationship? And I think that raises some other issues in terms of where our hearts are for that. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, fret too much over things like um, finding like a list of characteristics for, you know, when you're ready to date and making sure you hit all of those points or anything like that. I think those things can help to expose certain things in our lives that we need to consider, but all in the... It, all towards the ends of pursuing Christ and pursuing righteousness. So I would say that, but also with maybe some of the logistical and practical aspects of, you know, is marriage something that's in the, in the near future there? Otherwise, you're kind of playing with fire when you pursue those relationships. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, that was really helpful. Hopefully, you know, a lot of the young singles uh, or even dating couples uh, were able to, you know, take something from that. Um, Ted and Pastor Mark, anything you guys wanted to to add their... I got a few thoughts. Do you have a few thoughts, Ted? Proverbs 5, it says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Becky knows this chapter really well. That you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps follow the path of Sheol. Verse 7, And now, sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. 
you know, when you go through the Proverbs, it's from king to his son, a prince who has many options and opportunities, and there are many honeys who are chasing him, all right, for a piece of the action, okay? And you see the advice and the counsel that he gives, pay attention to what I have to say, listen to my wisdom, and there's that repeated, you know, theme as you go through, young men, you need to read the Proverbs, Okay? You need to read the Proverbs every day, and you need to read the Psalms every day, and you need to be in a gospel every day. You got so much time, you don't know how much time you have. You don't think you do, but wait till you get married and you get a couple kids, or you do ministry and it starts to, and you realize, wow, I had so much time. Really, you've got this window of time, and you've got a very sweet church. I didn't have this. I didn't have this in my 20s. I didn't have anybody who came to me and said, hey, you know, this is not a good situation. By God's grace, I had parents who did so. I had an older, unbelieving brother. There was one time, there was a gal who I was dating, and I said, well, what do you think? And he said to me, look, man, she's a touch-and-go gal. I said, what do you mean by a touch-and-go gal? It means, he says, most guys who are unbelievers, who aren't Christians, because he had walked away from the faith, he says, they get with those gals and they go. He says, but you're a Christian. So if, you, if, if that's the case and that's not your business, you got no business being there. This is my unbelieving brother, right? Proverbs says with many counselors, you're going to have victory in battle. And so you're unwise if you don't take advantage of your discipleship group leaders, people who love you and who have spent time with you, to come and seek their counsel. Or if you're interested in someone, to ask the person who's shepherding them. It's called accountability. And if there's going to be holiness and purity, you don't want it all covered up, covert operation, right? You want that accountability and you want that help. You want all the help that God is going to give you because at the end of the day, you want to be pleasing to the Lord. And the presumption is, I don't know what I'm doing. Because let's be honest about it. You don't. Even Michelle Obama talks about, and we're not on the same page theologically, okay, talks about, hey man, I don't want my daughters talking to their friends about this stuff. What do their friends know? As much or less than they do. I want them to talk to me about these things. So peers are always going to cheer you on, but they're not going to tell you the potholes or the steps that you're going to step into. So by the time I was in my 30s and I got to Grace Community Church and I was at a good church, I would go to the pastor who oversaw me or the pastor who oversaw the people who I was interested in dating. And I would, Kurt Gephardt's, I would say, or Rick Holland, I would say, hey, let me know, what do you think? Is this a fit? Is this the time? Is this appropriate or is it not appropriate? Or am I crazy? Do you see red flags through this? Do you see things in my life that say, I'm not ready for this? So that humility, that wisdom, that ability to come to someone and say, you see me, you know me better than I do. Why don't you basically speak into my life and let me know? And, you know, I had one pastor with one young lady who, you know, getting all my dating stories. It wasn't really that much. It sounds like a lot. But when you get married to your wife at 40, 41, it, it so... The pastor I was with saw me with a gal at the Grace Bookstore, you know, and he goes, okay, so I tell this gal, I said, oh, said, the pastor I work for wants to speak to me. I'll be back in a second. 
come over, speak to the pastor, and he goes, what you doing with that gal? It's like, well, I just went to church with her, and he says, well, he says, I don't think it's a good idea. Why? I just don't. He said, there's stuff, and he said, I just, he said, this is, it's not for you. And so it was like, look, I knew he loved me. I worked with him. I knew his counsel over a period of time. I knew he had my best interests. And I just thought, okay, if, if he's saying it's not wise, when Ephesians 4 says that your pastors and teachers are Christ's gift to you for your maturity, I was like, listen, I really need to listen to this carefully and weigh it. Now, does that mean you don't get bad advice? No, you know, you have to weigh it, okay? But at least it should give you pause to think twice that God may be using someone to speak truth into your life out of love for you to protect you. Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, you know, I think oftentimes when we think of that question, how do we know we're ready? Um, you know, we try to look to other things, but, you know, thanks, Kevin, for bringing up Matthew 6, you know, seeking first his kingdom, and then Pastor Mark. That involves, you know, seeking counsel from other men and other, you know, shepherds who are, um, you know, have, are involved in your life. So, yeah, thank you. Um, okay, we can go into a question about church or our church. So this question is, uh, says, no churches are the same. Can you share at a high level of where God is leading our church next year with regards to the current state of the church? Um, so Pastor Mark, maybe I'll let you take a first step. Got to come to members meeting this Sunday where we'll roll it out. But in a nutshell, you know, God's taken us through Matthew and he's taken us through Titus. And, you know, I think what the elders have, when we've gotten together this past year, we've, we basically prayed through Titus together and considered how is the Lord calling us. And, you know, when we started this path, we started First Timothy a while ago. You know, I, I don't think entirely we saw how much the Lord was doing, but Titus is just a perfect fit for our church. And so where we're going, when you come to the end of Titus, he tells Titus, you know, that the congregation is to learn how to be devoted to good works. And those are the works of the gospel, that share in Christ. And so, you know, the direction of our church is going to be Titus. How do we live out Titus? Which is, on one hand, equipping leaders. Um, so this week, you'll get, if you're a member, a list of everybody who was nominated to be either an elder or a deacon. There will be some women's names on that because they were submitted not as elders but as deacons. Okay, and we'll have to walk through that in the church with you all. But nonetheless, uh, you'll have a chance to look at that and see. And uh, the direction is twofold. It's vetting and equipping uh, leaders for the local church uh, so that we can carry on the gospel ministry. But it's also teaching all our members and equipping them in order to do good work. So that's focusing on outreach. So how do we get back into the college campus? How do we continue our outreach uh, internationally for missions? And how are we doing as far as outreach here in San Jose? Thanks, Pastor Mark. I suppose we'll hear more in detail uh, at the members meeting. So hope you guys are all able to attend. Uh, the next question is about uh, just relationships in the church. So this question says, 
how can people at church cultivate biblically fruitful friendships? So for this one, maybe all three of you guys could share something. Uh, we'll start with maybe Ted and then Kevin, then Pastor Mark. Yeah, I, I think we start with, you know, what is the goal of friendship? You know, and biblically, it's very different from maybe what the world would say are the goals and, and the purposes of friendship. You know, maybe in, in the eyes of the world, it's to feel like you belong or maybe you have a companionship. Um, I don't know. You guys all know all the reasons, you know. But, you know, if we understand that, you know, biblically all of our life is meant, you know, to be pointed to Christ and that we would, you know, first be saved, um, but also grow to be like Christ, um, whether it's marriage, whether it's parenting, whether it's work, whether it's friendship, all those things um, from a biblical perspective is really meant to point us in that direction. Um, and so it really does, if we start with a biblical perspective on why God has relationships um, for us, and, and in particular friendships, I think, you know, we, we look at Scripture and we see all these commands in terms of um, what, how we're to interact with one another. And I understand, you know, a lot of those one another's are within the context of the church, but I, I think they do apply many times to friendships, you know, are you just hanging out for the sake of quote-unquote fellowship over food and, and just talking about whatever? Or are you exhorting one another, you know, to Christ? Are you encouraging one another? Are you loving one another even in bringing up concerns and um, being willing to be the friend, it says in Proverbs, right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? And you're willing to bring those things up because you love your friend and you want them to grow in Christ, and you would also invite that for yourself, right? So it's not just a one-way street where you're, you're the guy that's dishing out the concerns. It's are you, as a friend, ready to receive those corrections as well? Um, are you, you know, pointing them to love and good works, as it says in you know, Hebrews 10, you know, the gathering of one another. It's, yeah, it's talking about the church, but think about all the individual relationships. Um, and so... Yeah, I think we have to take a step back and say, okay, what is a biblically fruitful relationships? Is is your relationship helping you grow in Christ? Right, bottom line. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, some of them we say hearty yes, others not. You know, you wonder. You know, and you know, I would say um, even in you know we have uh, people here who live with one another, right? And and so that's an opportunity to ask yourself, are you being just roommates, just like roommates might live together down the street, you know, who don't profess Christ? Or are you really um, taking advantage of those friendships and relationships that God has sovereignly ordained for you to point one another to Christ for whatever period of time you guys are together, right? And so, um, yeah, I think that's one aspect. Yeah, I think Ted and I are kind of thinking on the same wavelength here on this one. Um, in Hebrews, um, talks about in Hebrews 3, it says, Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by this, the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ. 
right? So if we really just take a survey of all these one another's in the scriptures, that talk about, talk about how we ought to relate to one another in the body of Christ, it gives us a pretty good blueprint of at least what the character of biblical friendship should look like. Um, so that's one that comes to mind. Uh, bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, also comes to mind as well. And that really talks to this idea of if we see a fellow brother or sister who is struggling with sin, how do we handle that? Is it something that we just sort of don't want to bring up because it's going to ruin the good vibes of the relationship? Like, no, that's not what the Bible calls us to do as far as biblical fruit is concerned, right? And Ted mentioned, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? Those are the things that we need to be willing to, to bring up because ultimately what's going to benefit um, our friends most is if they're walking well with the Lord. And that's the ultimate good for them that we would want for them. So that takes sacrifice, right? That takes faith to be able to do that as well on our own parts, to know that, well, if I bring this thing up, it might kind of screw things up. It may make the relationship weird. And yeah, it could. But if we have a heart of love towards someone else, then that is, obviously, we want to do it in a gentle manner, in a way that reflects the character of our Lord. But those are the things that we need to be willing to do. And, you know, I would say to cultivate biblical friendships, don't be afraid of hardship, you know? Um, I think all of us are maybe programmed and hardwired to avoid hardship, but, you know, um, maybe this is too specific of an example of friendship, but just even, you know, my marriage, I found that the times that our marriage has and our relationship has grown and deepened the most have actually been the hardest times, right? Because those are what draw you together, right? And if we're willing, if we're willing to not just run away from hardship at every turn, but willing to, to endure hardship if it means pursuing the things that the Lord wants us to do, like bring up sin and pursue righteousness, then that often has the side effect of deepening those relationships and friendships um, as well. So, you know, that would be my encouragement, just very much in line with what Ted shared. Yeah, a couple thoughts come to mind, and, um, you know, it's a verse that has already been mentioned before, is seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know, that interview I was able to do with Ricardo, you know, with his surprising answer when I said, okay, well, what do you need and as a missionary? And how can we be supporting you? And him saying, I need you as a church to be doing well, you know? And I, I'd say the greatest thing for a fruitful friendship is for you yourself to be growing in Christ. If you're staying still or you're not growing in Christ, and, and this is for singles... This is for marrieds, this is for parents, this is for whoever's out there. You know, every stage of life, if you're growing in Christ, what Christ is going to do with other people who are growing in Christ, he's going he's to knit you together. In your marriage, if one person is growing in Christ and the other person is not growing in Christ, I'm dying here. And, and one person is growing in the other, then there's going to be issues on intimacy, emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, spiritual intimacy, all of those different things are going to happen if one person's going one way and the other person's going the other way. The greatest thing that you can do, we tell all the premaritals of this, abide in Christ, abide in Christ, abide in Christ, not now, but for the extent of your marriage so that you continually will change, that you're growing in Christ together because Ephesians Two, what does it say? It's, it's he's the one who's drawn us near, right? His, his blood is our peace. 
you know, and, and there's not a need to fear when Christ is really central. So I think there's that burden in friendships to really grow in Christ and then to recognize that uh, uh, Christian friendship is a gift from the Lord. And he's going to have seasons when you're going to have it and there are going to be seasons when you don't. And you go to the Lord and you wait on him, but your greatest friend is who? It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's going to take you for periods where you're going to be alone because he wants to be alone with you. And that's a sweet thing. Uh, but it's something to be in prayer over on a regular basis and allow Christ to be the foundation of those friendships. I think one last thing I'll say, um, as we've gone through Titus, he's made this recurrent statement over and over again. He brings us to the gospel, and then he says, affirm what's good and rebuke what's not or what's contrary to the gospel. I just encourage you, even before you get married, to be willing to receive that from others, whether it be friends or roommates, if they have something. And yeah, they're not always correct. And yeah, sometimes it doesn't get said well, you know. But nonetheless, God is using, if they're a Christian brother who loves the Lord, God's using them to get our attention. You know, we, we shoot the messenger because we don't like the message. That's our pride, right? That's what the Pharisees did with Jesus. But if you're willing to grow with those uncomfortable things where you're willing to receive criticism or correction, hear what it has, and then go to the cross, go to the Lord, okay, and wait, don't react. 100% they're right, 100% they're wrong. But also the bravery with a friend or a loved one also to affirm what's good and to raise, and, and you can do the rebuke in a very sweet way of, hey, brother, I'm just, I'm concerned. You've been away on vacation for an extended period of time and we just haven't seen you in the fellowship. Are you doing okay? And it can start light and you can go from there. But if we are not affirming what is good, hey, this is a great thing. I love the way you minister. I love the way you encourage. And also both, you need to affirm what's good, but also raise concerns where there are concerns, where someone is straying from the gospel, that's not love, okay? And if you don't do it now, you're gonna find when you get married, it's hard to do. And then when kids come along, it's hard to do because you've never done it. And then you're at that place where we've seen with many of our parents or family members, 20 years later or 30 years later, they're skirting around the same issues or nobody's dealing with it, or there's a root of bitterness that has come up. And Christ has given you a way, if you just look at the gospel, we don't have to do that, but it is a little bit uncomfortable. The willingness to affirm what is good, rebuke what's contrary to the gospel in a loving and gentle and gracious way, and to receive it as well. Yeah, thank you all three for just reminding us of you know, the eternal and spiritual perspective of uh, biblical and friendships and you know, remembering that, yeah, we're to, in order to cultivate those biblical friendships, it's to, to grow in Christ together. So thank you. Um, here's another one, maybe for more on the, the work topic. So the question is, more of us here, especially in the Silicon Valley and in this COVID era, have been working remotely at home. Uh, what are some exhortations, warnings, encouragements you can give to those uh, who are in that situation? Uh, so maybe, Kevin, I could start with you on that, and then 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly a, a appropriate and, and apt and timely um, question. And I think a lot of you went to the Faith at Work conference too recently, right? So maybe you guys have a lot, of, lot to say about this as well. Um, but, you know, I, I think there are certain principles that we need to keep in mind. Um, you know, the principle that, you know, what we do, we do for the Lord um, when it comes to work and our earthly employers, right? We need to con consider working excellently and, and making sure that we do that. So that means working from home. There can be the temptations to not really devote everything that we have to that because no one's looking over our shoulders. So we do really need to check our hearts um, on that one in terms of, okay, am I doing everything that the, my employer wants me to do here? Of course, obviously, with the caveat of you don't want to sin or anything like that. But as far as you know, putting in the time and the effort that you're supposed to be putting in um, as an employee of the company, then yeah, absolutely, we need to pursue that. That said, there are some challenges that I've certainly experienced, and I think many of you experienced as, as well, working from home, just in terms of other things that are going on at home, right? Because I think the most classic example is like, okay, jo Joanna needs some help around the house, or Evie needs something, and I'm working, right? What do I do? Right? And that's the question that comes up. So I wouldn't say that it's, it's always drop everything and, and you, know, you always have to be available to you know, get something from the top shelf or something like that, right? But you know, if my daughter is hurt and she's crying, yeah, I'm gonna stop what I'm doing and I'm gonna go help her if Joanne is not available. So there, there's always you know, some push and pull that comes along with that. And you know, I think one thing too that we have to be careful of is thinking through this and thinking that there is like a, a step or a tip that just fixes everything for you, right? If, if I could come up here and say like, okay, just you know, work from this hour to this hour, then shut off your computer and then do this other stuff at home between this hour and this hour, but then turn your computer back on and close the door. If I could give you those tips, like that would just produce a lot of legalism and I don't think it would produce Christ-likeness, but I think in very intentionally, there are challenges that come about from working at home. And that's one of the purposes of the Lord. So I think when sometimes when we look for, okay, what can we do to better the situation and uh, make it so that it's easier for me, right? Um, sometimes that can be in there as well. And sometimes, as we've talked about, the Lord brings that hardship for a purpose and for a reason. For many of us, this whole working from home thing has brought that hardship that's brought, you know, sinners together for longer periods of time where more things come up, right? And that's a blessing. That's a blessing because it surfaces things that I never thought I had to address and deal with in my own art. I wasn't aware of those things. Same thing on the other side. So I, I think understanding that, yeah, um, there, there may not be a solution that fixes these issues and tensions and problems of you know, how to work from home in a way that just produces perfect harmony every day, right? Um, that may not be in the cards, but what is in the cards always is how are these difficulties and hardships and, and even conflicts that come about, how are they allowing me to repent of sin? How are they allowing me to grow in love? How are they allowing me to grow in my diligence and excellence and faithfulness at work? How are they you know, challenging me to, to address idols that have been in my heart and my life? Maybe issues of frustration or anger or impatience are surfaced through them. And that is the Lord's will to make us holier through these things. And sometimes that only comes about when we have to deal with the tensions of like, okay, I'm at home, I'm working, but I'm not. So 
Um, you know, as much as I personally would want that magic tip and magic pill to say like, okay, do this and working from home is a breeze. Uh, I think the Lord has other plans for it. Thanks, Ted or Pastor Mark, anything you guys wanted to? Add one thing is you need to pray a lot regardless of where you're at. I, I always think of Daniel, you know, as one of the best jobs going, right? You know, he's, he's essentially a governor or a prince or a satrap and, and all of these different kings in these huge empires. And what did he do in a hostile environment? He's praying three times a day, right? And so I think whether you're at home or whether you're in the office, we understand that God is sovereign. He's put you there to be a bright light and you're involved in spiritual warfare. And that war begins in your heart, which is what Kevin's referring to. And so if you don't go in armed with the full armor of God and you're not in the word and prayer and you're not strengthened for that battle, you're gonna get, you're gonna get creamed. The flip side of that is when you walk in with Christ and you're walking with him, whether you're at home or whether you're in the office or whether you're in those commutes. And I know that transition that's happening is, yeah, mentally there is a lot of fatigue with these transitions that are happening, both with being at home for an extended time and knowing how to relate to people. There's a learning curve with both of those. But I think we have to realize is, is God's word sufficient to address both of those situations? And is the Holy Spirit and his word in you enable to help you as painful as it is to honor him. Thanks for that. Um, got a couple more questions here. So this one is uh, another parenting question. Uh, have your children said that they are Christians? How can we shepherd our young children who think they are saved? So maybe I'll start with Pastor Mark on this one and uh, Ted and Kevin want to add. Ted's got more kids than I do, so he's, he's got a lot more experience on this. Yeah. My kid has not said that she's a believer, so it doesn't apply. <laughs> Kevin and I were talking <clears throat> earlier, and, you know, the verse that comes up, you know, from Proverbs of foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And I think whether your child is saved or not, as you walk through the Proverbs, there's still a need for wisdom either way. And there's a need, uh, you know, why has God put us in their lives? He's put us in their lives, you know, because they need us. And in the bigger scheme of things, we need them for our own sanctification. So I think we should, this is my personal conviction. And I, you know, Julie and I now know many people who are pastors and who have been pastors for some time. And through that period of time, you know, by the time their children are adults or out of the home, there's a real broad spectrum of how many of them, even in pastors' homes and, you know, honestly, far better parents than Julie and I or anybody I know, you know, as far as the parenting that was given, what was invested, local church, all of those things. And yet we look at the outcome of that. And at least at this time as we speak, there's a spectrum of unbelievers, spiritually immature believers to, you know, honestly mature believers is probably at this point, you know, for the folks we know where their kids are between 20 and 30, you know, there aren't many, honestly, you know, and it's the Lord who saves people. 
So I would sort of counsel parents as a whole. I wouldn't be too hasty to put that stamp of approval, especially, you know, Kevin and I were talking about this earlier, where in the scriptures, the Lord frequently talks about uh, children in Isaiah before they know good and evil. There is both a spiritual maturity and there's also just a natural maturity that children are lacking. There's a discernment that they're lacking and typically their desire at a young age will be to follow those they love. If they love their parents, they're going to want to be close with them. So they're going to tell us the things that they think are going to please us uh, or that's going to promote fellowship in the home or that's going to resolve conflict in the home. And so we really have to go to 1 John, and you look at all the tests of true fellowship, and I know the membership, Harvest, and Hospitality have gone through that. And I think what we can do with our children at an early age is we can show them the character of God, we can affirm what is good, and rebuke what is not of God, and put that before them. And I think, as we talked about this week, we need to be disciplers. How did, Jesus, how did Jesus manage the disciples? He taught, he preached, and he cared for their souls. And as he did so, he affirmed what was good, and he rebuked what was not good. He told Peter, the best disciple of all, get behind me, Satan. And then he affirmed when, G, when, when Peter gave him before a confession that came from God. Hey, this is a confession that comes from heaven. It's not from you. But he also rebuked. And he did that every step of the way. And I think before our children, we have to put that before them, the gospel proclamation that they have choices. And, and we do that with our boys. I don't, I'm not saying that's the standard, but we let our boys know, hey, let's not be too hasty to say you're a believer, but let's also not be too hasty to say you're not a believer. You're not God. God is the one who's going to decide. But this is what God's word says of what a believer looks like. And it's enduring obedience over time. If there's enduring obedience over time and there's a heart to imitate and walk with the Lord and godly people, and typically parents can see a transition. Most of the parents who I know who have walked through that, they've said, there's a pretty clear before and after where there's a desire or regeneration that's happening in the heart. And I think as parents, ultimately, we have to trust the Lord. Ted, anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I, I agree. I think... Maybe one of my kids might profess, but, you know, I, th I think we understand that it's not about profession of Christ, but, you know, confession of Christ as Lord. And, you know, sometimes it's, as Mark highlighted very well, it's, it's, it's not easy to see right away. And so you're just waiting on the Lord to make those things clear. And, yeah, as, as Mark shared, you know, it's just, we just got to keep feeding them the word. I mean, it's not any different in some ways, to what we would do at church with people who come and say, I profess Christ, I profess Christ. You know, when you're going through the membership process, you know, you're involved within your discipleship groups and these leaders and these members are affirming and, 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 and pointing you to Christ and feeding you Christ and, and seeing, you know, are you growing in Christ? Is, what's your trajectory, you know? And so I think as parents, we just have to be faithful in that. Um, at least that's what Becky and I are committed to and saying the results are in the Lord's hand. Um, but what we want to do is, is be faithful to Christ. Um, you know, I think flip side, you know, I think we can also get so focused on the teaching aspect and the discipling aspect, which is not a small matter that we forget our own lives as, as really 
a platform where the gospel is visible. And so, you know, I'm reminded of 1 Timothy 4, you know, it's different contexts within the church, but Paul's telling Timothy, you know, watch over your life and your doctrine, right? It's not just your doctrine. It's not just what you teach. It's not what you preach. But these things must be true and evident in your life. And I, I think we underestimate the power of our example in our home, right? We're not pretending to be perfect, right? We're hopefully modeling to our kids, this is what the gospel did in our lives, you know, and this is hopefully what they're hearing and what they're seeing. There's a, there's a consistency and alignment. And I, I think it's so destructive when people preach the right thing. I mean, you guys all know, right, hypocrisy and how, how damaging that is in the church. It's the same in the home. You know, you can preach and teach the right thing, give them a solid biblical worldview, but if your marriage is falling apart, you know, if you're not growing in Christ, if, you know, other aspects of your life, and, and they're, they're very perceptive. They, they, they ask questions, and I, I often remember like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of that. They hold me accountable. And, and so I think it's the dual aspect of not only teaching, but, but living out the word um, that we are proclaiming. So. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, for just the reminders too, you know, as parents too, um, yeah, watch over our own lives, but then also, you know, for the children not to be too hasty to declare them as, you know, saved or not saved since we aren't the Lord. So thank you for those reminders. Uh, well, you know, it is past nine. Oh, sure. Was there anything you wanted to add? Um, Julie and I are blessed um, that we get a chance recently and we haven't you know, early on for me to check in with her and ask her how the boys are doing and how they're responding to things that are hard in their life. When you go to Titus 2, it talks about older women teaching the younger women how to love their husbands and love their children. And that's a demonstration in many ways of the Proverbs, that there is wisdom to be had, especially with those who have gone before us. And I think, you know, for those of you who are going to choose to homeschool your kids, and this is not bagging on homeschooling, Okay, Those of you who choose to send your kids to Christian schools, and this is not to bag on Christian schools, okay? Christian schools, public schools, home schools, they each have their different blind spots. You got to go in and you know, there's none of those systems are going to save your children. Only Christ is going to save your child, okay? What you do have to be a little bit cautious about is that Christian schools have certain blind spots. Yeah, it's not going to be the public school is going to pump them full of crap, okay? You know, I mean, it's just going to be there in the drinking water, in the schoolyard, whatever, okay? For sure. But it's not like you get a pass. I went to Christian schools, and there was plenty of terrible stuff that went on at my Christian school. Maybe my Christian school was the dog and the bunch, okay? But then with homeschool, part of the issue is you're at home with your kids all the time. And we as parents have blind spots, we do. I think, fathers, you have to consider that during those early years when you go through the scriptures, I think the scriptures come out and kind of demonstrate that there's an intimacy and a unique bond between a mother and their children during those early years. As guys were away at work in a man's world, it means that to some degree there are certain things that are not intuitive to us. We have certain blind spots and we need our wives' help, and that's why God's given them to us, in order to shepherd our children. We still lead, 
But God has given us those helpers because, man, do we ever need them. And so I will ask Julie on a pretty consistent basis because I realize there's certain areas that I'm just blind. Honey, how are they doing at school? How are they doing with their friends? What's happening in their relationships? And, you know, that's part of our once a week when we spend time in the Word first, which is married couples, you need to build that relationship, your own relationship around the Word. We pray together, pray for our kids when we have the wherewithal to do it, sing a hymn if we have the wherewithal to do it. But to have that opportunity to check in and ask one another what we're seeing in our kids. Am I missing anything? Okay. And for me to be able to listen to what Julie has to say and realize, hey, there are certain things that she's seeing that I'm not going to see. Just because I don't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. And then within the local church, and I know this is a weird one. We're used to my family. This is how I do it. I got married. This is how I run it. It's nobody else's business what I do. But in actual fact, the church is the household of God. We're one another's brothers and sisters. And what I have seen in other pastors' churches where they're ahead of us, what's been very sweet is with certain pastors, when their children have been struggling, it's been a blessing to have an elder mentor or teach the Sunday school class or lead the youth group of their children. And for them to be involved and to speak into their children's lives and to be able to graciously, kindly, not overstep the bounds. They're not a substitute for the parents. But to be able to come together and say, hey, you know, there's some things I've seen that I have a concern. Have you had a chance? We've had people come to me and say, hey, Mark, I've just noticed this and I've got concerns. Well, we sit down and we pray about it and we walk through it. And I say, listen, thank you for raising this. It's been a burden on my heart too. And we're able to pray for our children together. And I think that's a help and a gift of the local church in raising our children. If, just like our own hearts, you know, we're living, he who desires his own way isolates himself, right? Proverbs 18.1. In our families, if we're holding everything under a bushel and nobody sees what's going on, we're missing out in God's gift to us. Thanks, Pastor Mark. All right, well, you know, we are a little past nine, so um, we'll end with one more question. Um, and this is for all three of you. So the question is, we know there are a lot of heartaches in ministry, but what are some of the greatest joys for you all personally? So maybe we'll start with Kevin and we'll just go to Ted and Pastor Mark. Sure. Um, yeah, I was just... This past Sunday for um, our membership class, just looking at Romans 12. Um, and Romans 12 really talks about the body of Christ in action. I'll just read a, a portion of that. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then... He goes on to list some of these gifts. So I think the times of great encouragement for me is when I get to witness the church body, really each part fulfilling each of its roles and really doing that to the utmost and just coming together. Um, that's really a beautiful sight. I think the one example that stands out on my mind is just from a few years ago. Um, this was year one of COVID. So church body had been apart for a long time so that had its own challenges but you know one of the 
fallouts from that was we had a baptism class that was scheduled for, or the baptism service that was scheduled for like the week that Santa Clara uh, decided to lock down. So we had to push that back, postpone that, postpone that. Um, and then finally, we were able to, you know, come together as a church body and, and different people had to pull together and, you know, figure out how to do a baptism service in a way that we never did a baptism service before. And everyone, you know, it was kind of an uncomfortable, like, oh, we don't do this outside. We don't know where's the pool. How do we get the water? How do we heat it up? And all those things, right? But different people just coming together um, and exercising what the Lord has gifted them with um, to be able to do that. And really, those are the most encouraging times for me to witness that. Yeah, I would say along similar lines, you know, it's, you know, the Lord saw fit to bring us together as a church, every individual member. And yeah, that's part of his sovereign will, his wisdom, you know, that we're one as a local congregation. And for however long the Lord has us together, um, we get to grow together and we get to uh, be amongst one another, and we get to exercise our gifts for the edification of the body. Um, also, that at the end of the day, Christ is exalted, and that is far greater than anything I would have imagined or signed up for when I, you know, thought of church. And and yet, God has this great plan for us. And I think, yeah, I, I think that's why there are heartaches because we invest so much. Um, at the end of the day, Christ is worth it, and, and so we don't withdraw. Um, but just you see the work of Christ in our body, as, as Kevin mentioned, and just to see each of you growing, you know, in the different challenges and testing that the Lord has placed you in, that we can come alongside one another, um, mourn and grieve with one another and rejoice with one another and, and do, do it all because we love Christ. Um, I mean, it's sweet. You know, it's something we can't share with, you know, everybody in our own family, you know, who aren't Christians or even people at work. That's something that's unique that we get to share every time we gather together as, as a church. So, um, yeah, that's an encouragement for me. You know, Colossians 1 says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith, in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid out for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. I think, you know, just as these men said, I think the greatest satisfaction and joy for us is to see you grow in Christ. Um, and I think to see people saved who didn't know the Lord before and come to know him. So baptism is always a sweet time, but to see people just growing in Christ and that is evidence. You can tell when they're growing in Christ, there's a couple of things that come out that's super encouraging. One is enduring obedience, even when things don't go well for you. And I think that's been uh, a remarkable thing. The men have alluded to this, but we know individually too, over and above just COVID, uh, many of you have had challenges. They've been family challenges. They've been work challenges. Um, you know, there's any number of different things that have come your way. And yet to see people struggle and yet come through that on the other side with a greater appreciation for Christ 
and his word than they had beforehand is an amazing thing. It just bears witness to the presence of Christ in our midst. And, uh, you know, that ultimately is what makes it worth it, is to see people grow in Christ. It's not all just hard labor, right? There are many joys too. <laughs> yeah, you know, hopefully we can all just um, clue into, you know, what they shared. And, um, you know, aside from Christ being the motivation for the things that we do, you know, we know that these are all very big encouragements, right? Coming together as a church, growing in Christ. These are all things that, you know, keeps them going and keeps them, you know, um, you know, waking up each morning. So, um, all right, well, you know, that concludes our Q&A. So I'll just go through a few quick announcements and then um, I'll close this in a time of prayer and then we can have refreshments. So, um, yeah, in terms of announcements, so... Again, as a reminder, this is our last formal gathering for Lagos until the fall semester, which will start uh, sometime in uh, September, I believe. Uh, again, book club, we will be having a summer book club, uh, which will be starting in uh, the next two weeks or so. Uh, we encourage everyone to sign up as this is really a great way to have consistent fellowship with the church body uh, while some of our formal ministries are on break for the summer. We'll be going through Second Timothy, uh, as well as another book called Heart and Habits, written by Greg Gifford. There's a Google form for the signups, and the link has been shared both on Facebook as well as uh, by email. But if you haven't seen that, please uh, do let me know. Um, summer Lagos Bible Study. So this summer, we will be continuing uh, midweek corporate Bible studies on the first Wednesday of the month in June, July, and August. The elders will actually be taking us through topical teachings, and so we're collecting feedback on topics that you would like to learn about. Um, for those of you who signed up or who uh, went to the Google Forms for the book club or the Q&A, you may have seen a question stuck in there about uh, just other topics. So yeah, if, if you would like to uh, submit a topic that you'd like to hear about, please go to maybe the book club sign up. Uh, otherwise, you can just submit those directly to uh, myself or JC. You can email them to us. Um, that's about it for the announcement. So I'll just close this. Yeah. Just explain, because there's some folks who weren't with us in years past, how book club functions. Sure, yeah, yeah. So book club, uh, there will be about uh, 10 weeks or so, uh, if some of you have seen the curriculum. So yeah, it'll go through you know the last couple weeks of May uh, through August. And uh, when you sign up, Basically, we'll be assigning you guys into different groups and, you know, based on preference, you can either meet online or in person, uh, in, in homes, uh, different places. And, uh, yeah, it's just a time for, you know, fellowship uh, centered on the word and in prayer um, with, you know, your fellow church members. So, yeah. I want to make one exhortation. Summer is when sheep wander. And... By the time the fall comes, you sort of see some have done well and some have gone way off the reservation. Um, and it's just our nature. It's how we are, prone to wander. Lord, I, I know it, right? Come thou fount of every blessing. You know, that's just our nature. And really the way the church is designed, we want to give you every opportunity to walk with the Lord. So what summer is about is really taking everything that you've learned during the year and in Lagos and to put it into practice. And so you're going to have those opportunities through book club to be with a certain group of people and to meet up on a regular basis and to continue 
your own devotional studies, the idea is we've walked through how to study Titus together, but now you can take those things and study them on your own. And it's an opportunity to grow so that there's not someone every week looking over your shoulder watching you, but at the same time, the same principles are there. So I'm going to exhort you, don't let your foot off the gas, pursue Christ and pursue one another. Uh, There's freedom there so that things aren't scheduled heavy, so that you have more time to meet up with folks and initiate things. Uh, But you're walking with Jesus or you're walking without him. So um, please walk with him. Thanks, Pastor Mark. Yeah, you know, even if you're not able to make it to all of the meetings, you know, please do still sign up. We encourage you guys. Uh, it's, It's just a great time, you know, when we're not meeting formally for these other ministries. And um, yeah, you know, we're not looking for perfection, right? You don't have to do every single reading, you know, uh, we're going to crack down on those who don't finish, but you know, we really want to see people growing in Christ, uh, even through the summer. So thanks. Um, let me just close us in a quick word of prayer and then we can have some refreshments. Heavenly father, uh, thank you so much for this ministry, Lord, for taking us through, Uh, the study of Titus and really learning uh, what it means to be a church, what it means to be a pillar and buttress of the truth, what it means to to live according to sound doctrine and to be effective ministers of the gospel, of your gospel. And Lord, I pray that um, as we do go into the summer, Lord, would you help us to really consider the things that we learned, uh, put them into practice, and uh, yeah, Lord, to really understand truly what it means to live for you, to live uh, righteously, to live in a way that uh, tells those unbelievers uh, that uh, there's something that they're missing in their lives, and that that is you, Christ. Um, And um, Lord, I just pray uh, to thank you for this Q&A session, Lord, for uh, speaking through the elders and using them to proclaim your truth and uh, with topics such as Uh, discipling relationships, uh, parent-children relationships, uh, relationships in the church, uh, working, um, and um, yeah, even just the pastoral ministry and uh, the the direction of the church. So uh, again, we thank you so much for this ministry, for uh, growing uh, each and every one of us this semester, and I pray uh, that that you would continue to be honored through this summer. Uh, Thank you again. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys, you're all dismissed.